Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. All right, so we're in a series right now called Things I Wish You Knew About God. Last week, anybody remember what we talked about last week? Come on, somebody was here. What, what was it? I see a hand, but no face. Anybody remember what last week was? You got to be loud. Okay, well, you're going to have to podcast it, I guess. Maybe it's a whole new church this Sunday morning. Weird. God is not religious. That's what I wish the world knew. I wish the church knew that God wasn't religious. Because a lot of people in the church and a lot of people in the world think that God is religious. And because of that, they're totally turned off because religion is actually an institution. And it's a man-created word. It is not from God's heart. All right? It's man's systematic way of somehow screwing up everything God is doing right. Now, this Sunday, we're going to talk about uh, four things all together. And this Sunday, I'm actually excited about two. I'm excited about all of these. But this Sunday, I'm really excited because the thing I wish you knew about God is that heaven doesn't suck. Now, I know most of you, theoretically, right now, in your mind, are like, well, I don't think heaven sucks. Well, we're going to find out in a few minutes if you think heaven sucks or not. Um, What we're faced with in the world today is a media that has portrayed heaven in some ridiculous fashions over the years. Now, I don't know if we all, if we all just counted to three and then blurted out uh, an image of what heaven might be like, I wonder what we'd all say. But I'm just going to remove the confusion and jump right to it because we all know what Looney Tunes and Wile E. Coyote and Every cartoon that has ever been made, I swear, every cartoon that has ever been made depicts heaven the same way. Anybody want to know what that is? Right. Some cat or some other farm animal is sitting on a cloud, and what's he doing? He's playing a harp. And so we have this ideology and culture now that somehow heaven is... It's, it's not an after party for life. It's not this, it's not that. It's not a wonderful place filled with glory and grace like we used to sing about back when I was a little kid. We actually think that heaven is some sort of strange afterthought where we do nothing, where we sit around and play harps, where we, you know, we sit down and, and every, I remember being a kid and reading through the book of Revelation and reading about the gathering before the elders and, and, and how day and night everyone just says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I used to stay up at night going, okay, God, um, something in me says that that's going to be really cool, even though it seems really, really repetitive and boring. Now, how many of you would think that way? If that's what we read this morning, that we're going to sit around for all eternity and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, over and over and over again with the, with the beasts, what the heck is that talking about, and the elders, and... and 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 it's not that revelation and the depictions of heaven in the scripture are really that confusing. It's just just we don't focus in on what Jesus is actually saying to us about heaven. And so we need to get rid of this mindset, this, uh, I'm going to call it a theology or a doctrine of heaven that depicts an animal or a person sitting on a cloud. Maybe if you're from a Catholic tradition, all your jokes centered around a Christian, a Jew, and and a Muslim died and went to heaven, and then they met St. Peter at the gate, right? And that's the beginning of every single joke. Well, nowhere in the Bible does it say we're going to meet St. Peter at the gates of heaven. St. Peter does not control who gets into heaven. Sorry to burst your bubble, some of you. I'll tell you who decides who gets into heaven. The Heavenly Father decides, and he decides by whose name is written in what the Bible calls the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, this is very simple. I'm going to come back to this by the end of the message. But if you want your name to be in the Lamb's Book of Life so you can go to heaven, which is much, much better than a critter playing a harp on a cloud, 
All we do to get our name written in the book of life is to confess Jesus as our boss, to make him one who's in charge of what we do, to bend our will to his. To confess that we've sinned and fallen short of his standard and receive the forgiveness that he bought for us when he died on the cross. That is what it means to have your name written in that book of life. And that book of life is what will determine all of us who get to join Jesus in eternity in heaven, which does not suck. Everyone just say those three words, please. Does not suck. Just say it together. Oh man, that's the weirdest thing to hear in a church, but it is so, so true. All right, so here's the problem. What happens if we break Jesus down, if we break the work of the cross, if we break down God's plan, salvation, the whole works of it, what happens if we boil all that down to the point where all Jesus is, is an eternal pillow fluffer? Right? What, what, what does Jesus do for all these eternities with all of us in heaven? Does he really just go around and, well, you know, I went to prepare a place for you because I said I would, and it's this pillow. We got them for $4.99. There was a huge sale. And everybody just, and these harps are to die for. I mean, they always stay. That's not what Jesus was talking about when he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. You see, the world loves to counterfeit the ideas of God. The world loves to counterfeit the ideas of God. And in fact, I'm going to go so far as to say this to you this morning. That everything you see in this world is either a reflection of God's heart and his intent, or it is a counterfeit that the enemy creates to try and take us away from God's heart and intent. Everything that exists around us, everything that is created, everything that exists is one of those two things. It is either a reflection of the heart of God, or it is a counterfeit from the enemy who is trying to steal us away from the promise the protection of God's perfect plan for our life. So New York is known, anybody know this? New York is known as the city that never sleeps. Okay. It's true. I've never been to New York. Pastor Amy wanted to take me there for my 40th birthday. I said, heck no, too many people. But you wouldn't like to go see Saturday? I'd love to go see Saturday Night Live. But heck no, there's too many people. But it would be so cool to go to like Times Square. I, babe, heck no, there are too many people in New York for me. I don't want to go to New York. I have friends from New York. I know great pastors from New York, from the state, not just the city. And you know what? Too many people for me. But New York is the city that never sleeps. And it's called that for a few reasons. One, no matter where you go in New York City, at any time of the day or night, there will be people walking around. Always, 24-7, 365, there will be somebody walking around doing something. Not only are there people walking around, but the cabs are running 24-7. The cabs are running 24-7. So in other words, you can hail a cab and go to a restaurant because there are thousands upon thousands of restaurants, diners, clubs, uh, convenience stores that are open 24-7, 365 days a year. They never turn the lights off in those places. Now, not only that, this is what takes the cake. You can say that your city is awake 24-7, but when the government services in your city actually run 24-7, 365 days a year, you win the prize. And this is a fact in New York City. The subway, the subway system in New York City never, ever shuts down. 24-7 in New York City, you can get on the subway and you can ride to your job because you're more than likely a person who could have a job at 3 o'clock in the morning or 5 o'clock in the morning. 
and you may need to come or go from that. Their public transit doesn't even stop. That is a city that never sleeps. Vegas is, is another city that is, it's called, Vegas is known as, anybody knows, but it's called the City of Lights. Sin City, it's also called, absolutely. And Vegas, if you've ever been there, it's true. I mean, they say you can see it from space. It's so lit up. And I've been there, and, you know, the lights never shut off, and you can see it. We stayed in a place called Henderson. We looked towards Vegas in night, at the nighttime, and guess what you see? This huge, glowing ball of light. It never, ever stops there. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, there is something going on. Now, the reason why I give you these two examples of these two cities, and it's only two examples of two cities in North America, every civilized uh, nation in this world actually has a city that almost never shuts down. I mean, over, over in the eastern part of the world, in places like Malaysia, uh, in China, I mean, there are cities, the same thing. They never, ever stop being open. They never stop moving. They never stop uh, changing. The people are always flowing. I want to I wanna explain something to you. You see, those cities are either a reflection or a counterfeit of God's heart and God's intent. Now, I'm not going to try to subject you to uh, the argument that says those cities are somehow a reflection of God's heart because for some very obvious reasons, it's clear that what's in God's heart and what's in the heart of a city don't always line up. But what if it then is a counterfeit of something that is in God's heart? What if Las Vegas is thought of by the enemy to say, you know what, God's got all this stuff going on for himself. I'm going to invent something that's going to attract some flies. So I'm going to, I'm going to be a part. I'm going to influence people. I'm going to create Las Vegas. See, that's a counterfeit because anything that comes from the enemy, the enemy has no creative power of his own. The enemy can only create from what God has already given. And by the way, he only ever creates counterfeits of what God is doing. Come on, everybody say the word counterfeit. You, you need to know how to feel if something is counterfeit in this day and age. You need to know how to feel if it's counterfeit in this day and age because there's a lot of counterfeit experiences, there's a lot of counterfeit uh, faith, there's a lot of counterfeit relationship, there's a whole lot of counterfeit going on in our world today. And it's done so that we will either be confused or that we will be frustrated and lose heart in the thing that God has actually called us to. So we have these cities that are 24-7. And I want you to know that, that in this temporal world, all we are going to see is what is a reflection of God's heart or what is a counterfeit from the enemy. So I'm trying to unpack an awful lot into a very short amount of time this morning. So you're going to have to bear with me. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand this fool who mumbles and goes on up here. But listen to what the scriptures say about heaven. Now, many of you will never have read some of these verses and really thought about heaven. You're just confounded by the mystery of it. But we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. I'm going to read to you from New Living Translation for this one. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. It says this, This is what the Scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. Now, I know that some of us, we're so caught up in this world that we, we think about this verse and we think about what's coming next week 
or maybe a few years from now. We think about what God has prepared for us, what, what's going to come, you know, before I turn 50 years old, what's going to come before we have our fourth child, what's going to come, uh, you know, once I get married, then God has good things in store for me. All of these different thoughts we might have, but what this scripture is actually talking about is heaven. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind, now this is what's important, no mind has even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Heaven does not suck. Whatever you think heaven might be like, you're wrong. Because it's better than that. Because it's greater, it is far more mind-blowing, it is so outside of your temporal experience, you would never even have words to put together to describe what heaven is like. Why is that? In Revelation verse 21, John, while well, he is banished to the Isle of Patmos, is writing what he sees in a vision. In Revelation 21, 10, we'll jump in and start at this part of the vision. He says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her brilliance was like very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. It had a great high wall and 12 gates, and at the 12 gates, 12 angels. And names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east and three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its wall. The city was laid out as a square, and its length is as great as the width, and he measured the city with the rod 1,500 miles in length. And width and height are equal. So what we have is a depiction of the holy city, the center of, of the revelation of heaven. And the apostle John sees this thing coming down, and it's 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles deep, 1,500 miles tall. Now, I know some of you are practically savants in mathematics, so you've already done all this math. But for those of you who are simple like me, I'm going to break this down for you. Uh, 1,500 wide times 1,500 deep times 1,500. This actually broke my calculator. This is what it put up. Um, can you show what the calculator slide said? 1,500 times 1,500 times 1,500. Maybe he can't show up. It equals this, 3.375 E9. E9. Now, I am not a strong math person, I admit. Um, I, I get by. You know, I know, that when, I know when my wallet's empty, more or less. You know, I, I know when somebody has taken all the change out of the ashtray in my pickup truck because I can't get Tim's that day. Um, so so I'm... I'm I'm qualified enough at math to basically be able to drive. But I, I had to do a little research because I'd never seen on my, my computer, on my phone, with my little calculator on my phone, I'd never seen that number. So I had to go and remind myself. And I believe the little E stands for exponent or exponential, right? Okay, see, I'm, pr I'm pretty smart. I, I figure things out. So it's 3.375 to the, to the ninth, which actually isn't that big of a number. It's only 3,375,000,000. Only three billion. 
The, the city of Jerusalem in heaven, the new Jerusalem, the center, the emerald, the diamond of heaven, now this is just the city, is 3,375,000,000 cubic miles in size. Now let me break this down a little further because who wants an acreage? Just put up your hand. Come on, come on. All you acreage people, just admit it. Who lives on an acreage already and loves it? Right? Who, who loves living over here in Pinnacle? God bless the community. You know, where you can, you can fist bump your neighbor kitchen window to kitchen window. Lived there. Was awesome. Met Trav and Vicky. They met Jesus. It's all good. Right? We're so glad that we got to be fist bump distance from them for a few years together. And, and our kids love them and we love their kids. And we're just, we're just great friends now. But you know what? We all kind of like the acreage. We all like a little more space. So just let me just share this with you. This is just, I, heaven doesn't suck. This is just the city in heaven. Just the city. 3,375,000,000 square miles. Okay? Now, if you work from a figure of, oh, I don't know, about 8 billion people, because we're at about 7.5 billion in the world right now, um, we are, uh, we, we are projected, I think, in the year 2030 to hit 8 billion people, if I remember reading right. And in the whole history of the world, just so you know, um, they think maybe like 10 billion people have ever lived. But we're going to take the figure of 8 billion people. If you divide 8 billion by, uh, by 3,375,000,000, 3, you get a number and it is 0.42. 0.42 of a cubic mile. So what's 0.42 of, I mean, now we're in decimal points. Pastor Trav, you said heaven didn't suck, and already we're less than one in your theory. Okay, I just, just, you just, we're 0.42 of a cubic mile when we look at 8 billion inhabitants in the city, in the city of heaven. That. That works out for each one of us to have an acreage that is approximately 67 cubic acres in size. Let me tell you something. If you actually get 67 cubic acres to live in in your mansion in heaven, you will be so freaking sick of mowing the lawn, you will question why God ever created you. Do you, can you comprehend how big 67 acres is? Most of us can't, but if you ever come out to my place, I have 160 acres, okay? Half of 160 is 80, and 80 acres is too much work for anyone with a full-time job. 60 acres would be more manageable, but you know what I found about my workload that I'm really happy at? I'm happy at about an acre, because my kids don't really do the thing I want them to do the way I want them to do it. My wife, now she's going to get it because she actually had the nerve on the day I'm talking about eternity, heaven, the mansion that Jesus has prepared for me. And she said, I don't have a nice house. <laughs> Babe, wrong Sunday to bring it up. Because while we might not have everything that we think we need or not in this temporal world, heaven does not suck. And what God has promised for those who love Him is so far beyond anything you can imagine, you might as well just give up and focus on what's important. 
Because God will add to you in heaven more than you can comprehend out of all your experiences on earth. Whatever you think your neighbor has and you want it, which is called coveting, it's one of the Ten Commandments that we all break from time to time. But whatever all those things in your wants and needs list are, God doesn't even care about because at the end of the age when we are with Him in heaven, He will give us something that is so far greater, there are no words in our human tongues to describe it. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even imagined what God has in store. And yeah, then I'm sitting here going, well, that works out to 0.6, no, 67 cubic acres per, per person. So me and Amy together, we have like 120 acres. More. Whoa. We have like 134 acres. I don't know. Don't, don't check my math on that real quick. All right, do you get my point? That's a lot of acreage. That's a, and guess what? There's still room for people. Because we've only cracked this. We've only talked about the new Jerusalem. So, so just let me ask you, all you great theologians out there, if the measurement of the new Jerusalem is 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles, how big is heaven itself? I mean, if Edmonton is the capital city in the province of Alberta, how big is Edmonton in the province of Alberta? If Ottawa is the capital of this nation we're blessed to live in called Canada, and it's this big, how big is the nation? And if the earth is our place of habitation in this age from God, and He has created the millennial, the, the infinite galaxies upon galaxies, how great is heaven? And we're only talking about the size right now. The expanse of what God has prepared for those who love Him. We haven't even begun to talk about the relationships that are available. The thing that actually matters. The reason why He did everything that He did. So I just want to read on from, from the book of Revelation 21. In verse 17 it says, He measured the wall 72 yards. That's thickness according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. The material of the wall is jasper, and the city was pure gold. 1,500 miles by 1,500 by 1,500 miles, pure gold. Mic drop. Heaven doesn't suck. The foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first stone was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardis, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelve amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. I saw no temple in it. In other words, there wasn't no church. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are the church. And the city has no need for the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord has illuminated it and is a lamp, and its lamp is the Lamb of God. The nations will walk by His light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it in the daytime, for there will be no night there, in brackets. Its gates will never be closed. Its subway system will never shut down. See why I'm saying maybe it's a counterfeit? What man built? Maybe, maybe it's a counterfeit. What God has in store. The gates will never be closed and they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it and nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
And then we got to change chapters. Not that he changed chapters when he was writing this out, but we have to change chapters to chapter 22, verse 1 through 5. It says, Then he showed me a river in the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. You see, even the trees don't shut down in heaven. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. So in other words, not only do you have an entire produce section from the grocery store on the tree of life, but its leaves are even beneficial to heal every wound. Now, I don't know if you just take a pause with me here and consider its leaves are for the healing of the nations. And just with sincerity to understand the pain that is wrapped up in the nations of this world. I'm not talking about somebody unfriended you on Facebook or somebody bullying you or that, you know, your marriage is a little rough right now. I'm talking about, I'm talking about genocide and atrocities and the horrible things that have been done. You know what? Every ethnicity, every tribe, every tongue on this earth has been under the heel of slavery and oppression at one time or another. We're all people. And my ancestors took slaves and they were slaves themselves. And so were your ancestors. And people, the reality is, do horrible and wicked things to one another. And in heaven, the tree of life, just its leaves heal those wounds. Just the, just the leaf. I don't know what happens if you grind up some of its bark. Whew. Verse 3 goes on to say, there will no longer be any curse. Somebody say amen. There will be no curse, none, no curses. And the throne of the God of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no longer any night, and they will not have the need of the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illuminate them, and they will reign forever and ever. Now just pause right there on that last verse. I will reign with Jesus forever. Now I don't know. If you realized when you got up this morning that if you died today and go to heaven, that there's actually a job description waiting for you. Well, I just thought I was going to sit on a fluffy pillow and play a harp, Pastor. No, you aren't going to sit on a harp. You see, if, you, if your name's in the book of life and if you love Jesus, your job description begins with, um, come here, son, come here, daughter. We've got some raining to do. I know, and the simpletons of mine say, oh, great, we get to make water. Which would be really cool to make water. It's cool to make wine. Let's just see him make some water out of nothing. Wow. Son, come here. We're going we're gonna to reign. What does reign mean? To reign or to rule over? It means to govern. You know, for those of you who are a little more sadistic and childish, it means to boss everybody around. Which you won't really have to do since there's no belligerent responses. Everybody's just serving, reigning together. Now, I know that this doesn't begin to, to describe, even, even though we have John the Revelator, who's trying to share this with us. Um, but your job in heaven to rule, obviously if you're reigning, you're going to reign over something. 
And, and I don't know if your job will be or my job will be. I have no idea. Maybe we'll get to create stuff. Maybe we'll get to, you know, invent a species. You know, God will be like, let's see you top the platypus. Well, I, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Because I'm just trying to imagine. And by the way, imagination is one of the most powerful tools you have in your faith. The ability to believe for and see for things that are impossible. Don't ever discount it. Don't ever think you're too intelligent for imagination. It's the most important part of who we are. But I kind of I kind of think that when I live in a place and this is just my thought. Don't 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 try to doctrinalize this. This is just my thought. But but if I'm in heaven and my job description is going to be to reign with Christ, um to eat at the, the, the wedding supper of the Lamb. Um, to worship at His feet. To give Him every crown that I receive for whatever good stuff I've, I figured I managed to do. All of those things. But I'm in a place now that there's no limitation on my time. There's no limitation on my relationship. There's no limitation on my ability. There's no limitations on me whatsoever because I see Jesus as he really is and I am now restored to what he originally created me to be. So, maybe I would just grab a few of my friends and decide we're going to go check out a nebula somewhere beyond what we could ever see from earth even with technology because God made it and we should really check it out and so I go over there and I don't know I take 15,000 years to do it because I have 15,000 years in heaven because there is no years in heaven it's just, there's no more time to worry about so I go over and maybe I'll take my wife and kids actually because we didn't have a chance to go over here in our crappy house. Couldn't get to Disneyland. So baby, I'm going to make it up to you. We're going to go visit this, this nebula that Moses told me about. You say, how do you know you're going to talk to Moses? Because Jesus talked with Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. And they were glorified and perfect. So, so, I, so I, I, I know I'm reading into things, but I'm going, we're going to be able to ask people who know a lot more than us about some things. And so we might take 15,000 years, come back. That was really cool. But will it seem like 15,000 15, years? I don't, I don't think it will. Because there was no record of time for that. Then maybe I'm going to sit at that wedding feast of the Lamb. And I'm going to sit there for, oh, I don't know, 50, 60,000 years? 100,000 years? I mean, it just depends on how good the catering is. Right? And Jesus is going to come and sit down beside me for 12 or 15,000 of those years. And he's going to tell me all about the things he did for me. And I'm going to appreciate him more than I ever could have imagined. And I'm going to get up and I'm going to go over and maybe I'll go find my grandfather. Spend 8,000 years with him just catching up. Ted Decker wrote a book some years ago called The Slumber of Christianity and the premise of the book was that we have forgotten that there is a reward ahead of us. And I have a real problem. You're going to tell by the end of this series that we're really, we're throwing some, some nasty punches, some severe hooks, some jabs at religion. 
right now. Because religious thinking really does not have much of a place in the heart of us as believers. The only religious thinking we ought to have is how we take care of orphans and widows. That's what the Bible says. Now, I'm just, I'm just in, in my desperate, limited ability, trying to share with you what it could be like. And that's why I'm choosing tens of thousands of years at a time. For all I understand about heaven, maybe we could take a million years and sit there and worship Jesus and just never get enough of it. And just let his presence flow through us. Because we'll never be able to have enough. See, because if you understand the, the thought here, that if, like, if there's no hunger in heaven, neither is there any end to being hungry. And just so you understand, you know what I mean? Like right now, if we left church, some of you are going to be starving. Like I'm starving because I never eat right on Sunday mornings. And my favorite thing is sometimes when we have a guest speaker, we actually go over to the sawmill after because they have a really great buffet, right? And so when you walk into that buffet, you, you feel like you are going to starve to death. You feel like there is an empty wheelbarrow inside of your belly, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't. But, but you go and you look at that thing and you say, oh, man. I cannot wait to fill, fill, my, fill myself up with, you know, snow crab legs and bacon. And, I mean, you, you can pick. It's a buffet. But you know, what, you know what is horrible about the buffet? Is that moment that you ate too much. Right? Come on. Who knows what I'm talking about? That moment that you ate too much, and there is actually a hint of regret in your life. Because, listen, if there's no hunger in heaven, there's also no end like that in heaven. So my, my suggestion to you, my submission to you this morning is that we don't need to worry about experiencing too much of anything in heaven because there's not enough. There's no too much to be relative to it. Now I know that's crazy talk, but we need to talk in crazy terms because we have not yet been able to imagine what God has prepared for us. Now let me just move on with this and close this time up together today. John 14, 1 to 4. Jesus speaking to his disciples says this, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's house. Yes, there is. Because just town is like 3,375,000,000 square miles of real estate. By the way, if you tried to walk across, I didn't do this math, but it would have been fun to see how long it would take you to walk across Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem that's described. <laughs> you would die before you got there in temporal terms. So this leads me to believe maybe that we won't have to walk a whole lot. I, maybe we fly. Maybe we transport. I don't know. Doesn't matter. My father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, now this is Jesus speaking. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? In other words, Jesus is saying, guys, I'm not lying to you about this. My, my father's house has room for everyone. I'm not lying about this. I, you can trust me. Take me at my word. Trust me. There are enough places for everyone in my father's house. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you will know the way where I am going. Now, that's really nice that Jesus has all that to say. And so our friend Thomas, 
one of the disciples, pipes up. And in verse 5, Thomas says, No, we don't, Lord. We have no idea where you're going. Now, if we're just to be honest at this moment, how many of us would put our hand and say that? If you had a conversation with God right now today, and God said, you know where I'm going to be, how many of us would actually just, let's just admit it. God, I have no idea where you're going. I have no idea what you're doing. I have no idea what's happening. That's how I feel most days of my life. And I love it. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way and Thomas without even understanding that he was about to fulfill the entire plans of God so that Jesus could say these words Jesus looks at him and says I am the way right Thomas is going we don't know the way and Jesus is like I'm the way I'm the way and by the way I'm also the truth and I'm also all the life now, I know that's not in the text, but if you would look at the Greek and understand, these are all encompassing phrases, not in part words and phrases. So I am all the way, I am, or I'm the only way, I am all the truth, I am all the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And if you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. Ouch. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip pipes in with a cheeky question. Jesus responds, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe, listen to this, just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I just want to share those words of Jesus with you in regards to heaven today. You see, my friends, heaven does not suck. Heaven is something that is bigger and better than we could ever dream about or ever imagine. It actually starts to hurt my head if I think about it too long. And I know that might not be saying much. But, my invitation for you today is in the words of Jesus, right here that we just read. Just believe. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. You see, we don't understand words like Trinity, like how can the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all be one? We cannot understand it, and there are various religious approaches and even cults that have changed the Scriptures so it makes sense to them. Let me tell you something. God doesn't care about you understanding the Trinity or not, because He understands it. He gets it. He gets who He is. He gets how He's revealed Himself. He gets all of it. You and I are asked to just just believe. So could you do something with me this morning? Could you just believe that heaven doesn't suck? Could you just believe that, that there is something so amazing out there in front of us that, that God He has no way of communicating it to us until we're in it? It's just too good. It's just too big. It's just too complex. 
I want to invite the worship team to come back up this morning. We're going to sing that song, Fall. Because I believe this morning that something can change right now in the spirit if we begin to wake up from our slumber, if we begin to wake up from a delusion that says, what I do today doesn't matter because I don't know, I'm saved, it's good enough, I'm going to get to heaven, it's all good, I don't care. What if you started caring about what eternity looked like every day? Let me tell you what happens when we care about eternity every day. Suddenly we begin to care about our neighbor who doesn't know who Jesus is yet. See, for for Christian people who don't think about eternity, we don't have to worry about our neighbors. We don't have to worry about the people that we love. We don't have to worry about the people that we hate, for that matter, because we just don't think about that. But if you can understand this morning that having an eternal perspective will absolutely revolutionize the way you see the world around you, we might have something. We, We might have the motivation. We might have the momentum it takes to flip everything upside down, to totally turn our community around, to turn the strip club into a church. Just believe that heaven is going to be so worth it. Just believe that the thing God has prepared for us beforehand is so absolutely worth it. Just believe that God actually cares about you enough that he designed you for a specific purpose and task. And not only does it have temporal value here on earth, but it actually has eternal value because it's all linked together. You might be sitting here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God, or maybe you did once and it's been a long time since you really gave it any thought, but it's a really simple thing we do to become followers of Jesus. We bend our will to his will and we ask him to forgive us for our sins and I probably don't need to explain it any further today that we all have sinned and fallen short of God's standard. But it's really simple. And your prayer isn't magical, just so you know. It's not about saying things the right way. It's not about, you know, having the right posture as you say, Jesus, I want you to be my boss. It's just as simple as this. Jesus, I need you to be my boss. I need you to come and have authority in my life. Jesus, I receive the forgiveness that you offer me for my sins. And then if you really want to make it better, if you really want to just tweak your prayer a little bit, it'd be really cool, I guess. Invite Jesus to change the way you think. Invite him to change the way you think about yourself. Invite him to change the way you think about the relationships around you. Invite him to change the way you think about the people you work with. Invite him to change everything about how you think about this world. What if the church lived with a mindset that focused on the reality of what God has called and desires for every person on this earth to know him and to be with him for eternity? Would you just put your hand on your heart right now? We're going to pray that prayer we pray every week here. We're going to take one moment and just ask, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with what I've heard today? Jesus, help me to understand what it is that that I ought to apply. What are you saying to me personally right now, God? Just speak to me, Lord. Speak into my heart. Speak into my mind. Let me hear your voice today, God.
Jesus, I pray that as we leave this place today, God, we would do so with a mindset that's been changed by your presence. Lord, I just pray that there would be a hunger in every heart to search your word for the future glimpses of what you have in store for us. God, that you would wake us up, that you would give us a heavenly and an eternal mindset. Jesus, that you would help us to keep our eyes focused on you. Let the things of this world grow very dim in the light of who you are. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us, for your work at the cross, for giving us back a relationship with the one who created us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.